Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say, welcome back to Russia and the Inevitable Podcast World Cup Daily Edition live uh, as Argentina, we believe, teeter on the brink of World Cup elimination. Uh, I'm Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and uh, later on we'll be talking about France's victory over Peru, who are also now eliminated from the World Cup. We'll be talking about Denmark against Australia, a game which saw Australia pretty much sent, uh, sent packing, I believe. Not quite. Not quite, but pretty much there. Yeah. Uh, but most of all, we we're talking about Argentina and what the hell just happened in Nizhny Novgorod. And uh, to help me do that, alongside me, you've heard him already, uh, it's our Northern Football Correspondent, it's Mark Critchley. Hi Ed, how are you? Are you okay <laughs> after what you just watched? You know I am uh, struggling after that. I am um, not surprised, I'm not surprised, but I... Um, I don't know, like dumbfounded kind of by how this has all happened. The way they fell apart, I think, is is really what's on my mind. I think you've got a good coach who has just completely abandoned what made him good. And that obviously comes with its own issues. Um, You've got a great player who was never put in a position to succeed. And then you've got a load of utter, utter shit players who were just unbelievably exposed. I mean, those three things, if you combine them, uh, are never going to bring success. I mean, you can already read loads. I mean, we're we're not that far after the final whistle. You can already read loads about it um, on the website. I've written about some of the images that come out of that game and kind of how they might go down in Argentinian football infamy. And um, the one that comes to mind is that picture of Messi when during the national anthems when he's kind of under immense pressure and he's rubbing his forehead and you can see it you can see it weighing on him like an entire nation on his shoulders um but the image that should probably stick into people's mind the real infamous moment uh the guy who's going to struggle to set foot in Argentina again is Willy Caballero and, and that scuffed clearance which completely blew this game wide open yes um Although, to be fair... And be, and be fair, because it's always important to be I'm, fair. I'm trying to be fair, especially on a night like this when you're in such a vulnerable position. Um, to be fair to Willy Caballero, who, who has made an absolute you know, mess of that there, to put it politely, um, you do wonder whether a similar result wouldn't have happened anyway. Um, do, you not, do, you, do you not get what I mean? I think I, no, I, I, I thought at that point in the game... I thought both sides, uh, me, I was talking to Miguel about it at the time, and, and um, a little spoiler for you, um, I've already talked to him for the podcast, so that'll be uh, coming to me in a little bit. Miguel's at um, Nizhny Novgorod, uh, kind of in the mix zone now, trying to work out what on earth that was, um, and talking to the Argentine players and, and the Croatian players. 
But I thought at that point it was two teams who actually have got good players. Like I mean, genuinely good players on both teams, um, who were both playing as less than the sum of their parts. Mm. You know, up until that moment, Croatia hadn't been that good. You know, basically both teams came out. Uh, let's go to the start. Both teams came out the blocks trying to press high and win the ball back in, in dangerous areas. But both teams were aware that their weakness is the defence. Now for uh, Croatia, that's like an ageing defence of Domagoj Vida, um, of um, Lovren's in there, Strinic is in there still. You know, it's a not impressive unit, but when you look at their midfield, the midfield is absolutely stacked. And, and up front they've got Mandzukic, who is like the sort of ever-willing but never-scoring striker uh, that makes you think, that if they're going to do anything, it might be like a Griso four sort of. He's he is Aristeas in, in this particular equation. Argentina pressed high. They tried to win the ball back in the opposition third and and try to keep Messi up there. And Messi basically was isolated all game because they tried to keep him close uh, to the opposition goal rather than letting him drop in deeper and deeper and deeper to make things happen like he did against Iceland. Why is that? Is that because of how badly it works against Iceland? Although Iceland are a completely different team, obviously because they put sit very deep. I think so, and I think they, they felt... That, uh, the, the big thing is, uh, even if you feel that was the thing and, and you, you set that into motion, yeah. when it clearly isn't working, then you have to change something. Um, and it didn't, it didn't work out. I mean, like again, in, in this sort of game, like Aguero didn't really add much to proceedings. He had one good effort where he spun a defender and got a shot off. But really, Aguero and Messi meant that they were play, playing with nine. Um, and both teams trying to press and, and Argentina as I say their, their back three ageing back three with Mascherano in front meant that they were very exposed if, if the ball got through their press basically there was a big gap and they're in all sorts of trouble um, which is by the way that's, to clarify that's what I meant by my Caballero comment it just feels like the book doesn't really stop with him tonight even though he's made an absolutely egregious error it's more that like this was always coming at some point and I know I, I take your point I think uh, up to up to the mistake, it was a very even game with uh, two teams. I don't like. There's a lot of people giving a lot of praise to Croatia and Modric and uh, Rakitic in particular, who I thought were good once Croatia got a handle on the game. But really, against that Argentina side offering so much space, it felt like they, they a better side would have done it much earlier and wouldn't have had wouldn't have quite let Argentina into the game as such as they did in, in, the, in the first level. They had a few chances. It was, it was a very pedestrian game, I thought. Very pont- like, neither side really impressive until, until you know, calamity struck. But that's what I mean. Is, is it was a game where it was kind of... Uh, both teams were, were playing within themselves. It was sort of like a blow for blow. Like, a, like each team would kind of get a turn at attacking. Um, Modric, Rakitic, Brozovic is a sort of midfield where they can split a pass that's going to get beyond that press and then there's that big gap in between but there's also a big gap between the Croatian midfield and the defence and that's where I think Messi should have been operating Like mm. this was the game where you don't tell him to stay up top maybe this is a game where you do tell him to kind of drift in between the lines but instead he he just he had so little of the ball and it's like so clearly it, the thing with Sampaoli I've said all along is I feel like he's caught in between this thing where he had this great system that made him successful, making average players look better. And then he's got the greatest player of a generation and he's trying to make the best out of him. And he's caught in between those two things. And today it was so obvious he was caught in between those two things. And what was in the middle is just a huge chasm of like pain and torture because it was, he was just 
they were just nothing. They were just they just didn't have anything. There just wasn't anything there. And and today, you know, against uh, Iceland, it's like too far one end. It's like Messi dropping seventy yards to pick up the ball and try and make things happen. And then today, it's oh, Messi stay up top and don't do anything. It's like he's only capable of extremes. He's not capable of finding, you know, the grey area in the middle. Do, uh, on that, do you think we're talking about responsibility? And I think it's kind of shared across the team, uh, but especially on San Paulo. But do you think that Messi perhaps needs to bear big brunt of this because from what you're saying there it sounds like this is a player who will rigidly follow instruction and he's even been told to, to play deep or he's been told to play high this is a guy that we've seen him before take things into his own hands why wasn't he able to do that tonight well I think previously he's taken things into his own hands while still playing within the framework of the team um, for example um, you know in the Sabella Argentina team, the whole point was that they're playing 5-3-2 and, and everyone's behind the ball, basically. And it goes up and Messi can do what he wants. But here it's, you know, they don't have the, the safety blanket, they don't have the solidity. And it, you know, Sabella got them all the way to the final, basically on the premise that if we just don't concede goals, we might be able to pluck one out of somewhere because we've got a guy who can do that. And that might have happened tonight if they if they did keep it tight and keep it tight and don't do anything stupid and then is a free kick or something and Messi plucks it out of nowhere. You know, then you can do it in stages. You bring on Pavon to try and run at players more or you bring on Higuain for Aguero and, or whatever. Instead, it's like you're 1-0 down. Now you've got to score two goals, really, re- realistically. So then it's chucking on subs and, and getting desperate. And then so you're stretching the team even more. So the, the like OAP uh, home at the back, basically just getting more exposed players who, who just shouldn't be in this team um, to be honest and um, they just lost their minds they really did completely lack any composure today like that was so typical of kind of the Argentine psyche in many ways that something bad happens and the immediate reaction to it is oh just complete. Yeah, it's complete <laughs> meltdown. It is. It's complete meltdown. It's very. It was very. I saw this comment on Twitter. It was very um, English in that way. And I know there's a lot. There's often a lot of comparisons between the two kind of footballing cultures. But it did feel like, you know, like this, this Argentina. They're either they're either capable of being like the team that we we all know from '86 and like when Messi's at his best, the team that we've seen time upon time again. Or, or they just kind of play like a Unibon first division team and, and it's a whole mess. Yeah, and, and at the end of this campaign, we'll know exactly. You know, there is, as, as we said, there is the chance that they, they get through still. Um, it doesn't feel likely because... what? So what permutations they need? They need... Well, we won't really know until tomorrow. So let's talk about that more about after Nigeria, Iceland tomorrow, when things are clear. In fact, you won't be here. You'll be in Sochi. I won't be here, no. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm not going to get the permutation straight in my head now because it's been a long day. But it, So if, if Iceland, they basically need, they can't let Iceland win. Well, not that they've got a choice or a say in the matter, but if Iceland win tomorrow, it's looking pretty bleak, isn't it? Off the top of my yeah, Iceland and Croatia now in the box. Luke Brown wrote a piece on whether Croatia um, might be contenders, like real contenders, and uh, spoke to him about 60 minutes in, and he was like, 
oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this piece saying that they're real contenders. They just don't look that good. No. And then Caballero happened. And then that half an hour after that, they really, and they were much better because I think they are much more composed. And the way they, the way they just controlled the game after that, and, and I mean, it's, it's so easy when you've got someone like Luca in the middle who's been one of the best midfielders, if not the best midfielder in the world over the last two or three years. That, um, improvement from them, and I know it, it goes in parallel with Argentina's disintegration, but they did kick up, they did step up a gear, they did get better, um, and it did make you think, okay, yeah, they can do it, you know. And then the second goal was brilliant from Modric, and you know, I said to you, as he got the ball in that much space, it had a basically a 10 yard radius around him and no one in it, yeah. but I'd never expected him to hit that. Um, you don't think Caballero could have got to that, do you? No, I think that was excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just the strike itself. No, I saw someone mention that he might, but you know, it, it was it was out of Caballero's reach, and that really put the game out of Argentina's reach. That was that felt like the end for them. Uh, and then the third goal is just a classic one where you've overcommitted men forward, and it's a calm counter attack which was slotted away. I can't even remember who scored it. Rakitic was Rakitic, it in the end, yeah. and he he deserved that because he really stepped up in that last half an hour of the game. Definitely. I, I just think, like, I, I said it before, I don't... Croatia definitely improved, but the... We're talking about Sam pa, Paoli. I always say his name wrong on this podcast. Sam Paoli. His teams that we've seen before, we're, we're used to so much movement, and there was just such a poverty of movement tonight for Argentina that when the, when the first goal and the first error goes in, heads suddenly drop, and that was when Croatia really kicked in, and I just... I just don't think it was really that hard to play against Argentina after that first goal went in tonight. And that is the biggest indictment of their performance. Um, I think Miguel's wrote similar in his report. And, I, like, Croatia, obviously, a talented team, but so far, I, I'm just not really sold on it. And they might, I suppose they're, they're probably going to finish top of the group now, aren't they? So they might get a favourable draw in the next round. We wait and see. Yeah, quarterfinals, but. I wouldn't. I, I still think if they come against up, up against one of the um, one of the real contenders in this com- competition and they're playing well, I would I would still reckon that they'll come up short. So I think Croatia would play Denmark. Oh, sorry, um, I'm not choking up through tears. It's uh, uh, just the, just my voice going. Um, I think Croatia, and this may be wrong. Croatia versus Denmark in the next round, all European round of sixteen tie that could be quite interesting um, but yeah it's hard to draw too many conclusions from Croatia but they have won both games they have yet to concede a goal is that correct mm-hmm. and you know it's looking pretty tasty for them Iceland must be licking their lips you know what what a story they continue to be and as I said I think when they got the result against Argentina last time I hope that they can now be known for their feats on the football field as opposed to um, kind of the, t- the twee oh my God, I can't believe that he's a one-armed farmer sort of stuff. All right, I've had a drink now. We can carry on properly. So um, I'll get Miguel on the phone. Um, and then after that, we'll come back and we get stuck into the earlier games, which, um, you know, let's be honest, were much better than yesterday. Is that fair? That's true, yes. And that's why you should carry on listening. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Miguel, talk me through it. Is it hard to believe what you've just seen from a team that should be, you know, really among the four or five best teams at this tournament? Uh, I'd say what I just saw was hard to believe, except that's not really true at all. Um, in some ways, it felt like it was always potentially inevitable that the pieces were being set up for a cave-in like this. Uh, I did write it in my preview, but then I also wrote that soon we know Messi best from Barcelona, expected that now was the time to turn it on. Uh, he didn't. Uh, in fact, he, he did nothing, much like Argentina. Um, there are bigger. There's a bigger debate about that. But first of all, and, and really, there's a bigger debate about Argentine, Argentine football because the road to this calamity is really long. But on the night and in, the, in this tournament, I think the main issue is with San Paoli, who somehow made a team so much less than their parts, not least Messi himself, well, that, that that talent apparently evaporated, and also coughed up so much space. Everything about it was wrong. And it's just, Croatia, I didn't think were that good first half, but they were just, <laughs> the situation almost played into them and allowed them to grow into it. And of course, there was a nice gift of a first goal, which, which summed up everything. Um, so I'll put it on Sam Pauli primarily, but there are so many big, bigger issues here. And, it, and it, it says much that Argentina and Messi are on the brink of elimination and this tournament, this World Cup will be no poor without them. Uh, it, w- it was really, really bad and chaotic. Um, <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. It is amazing. I mean, what, what I find most amazing about the, the... First of all, if you think the fundamentals of management, especially or, of that kind of tactical management, and Sampaoli is supposed to be one of the great tacticians, ultimately you're trying to cover as much space as possible on the pitch and also enhance the abilities of what you got. What Sampaoli's system did, first of all, he had some of his best players on the bench, although, of course, some of them overlap in the same positions, and that's... You know, maybe not completely his problem or completely his fault but even then he set up a system where it, it gave up huge space Argentina were just lopsided in many ways even, even without front-loading the attackers they've got and also had this weird situation where all of their least technical players basically Mesa, Perez they were on the ball so much more than their better players and particularly Messi who was just on the fringes so often I mean, how the hell do you set up a team to, to do that? It's, it's incredible Um as to Messi's performance, I mean, again, like with Argentina as a whole, there's a long road here, and some of this goes back to the fact he's kind of he he he's dragged in the three finals in qualification, and I just feel like is it you know this is mentally all run its course that there's just so much tension here and so much frustration. So even then, you would have expected him to, as the game reaches latter stage, I mean, to just decide for himself to go deep, try and take control, but he couldn't even do that, and it was emblematic of the whole game then when after Sampaoli finally brought 
Higuain on. Higuain sets up a chance. He cuts it back to the, uh, into the six-yard box really dangerously, really well. That should be where Messi is, but who's there? Mesa. It's, uh, it's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, a Mesa-ing, if we're, we're going to push it. Um, uh, I, I might edit that bit out. Broadly, though, I mean, it's not mathematically impossible. I haven't looked at all the permutations. Uh, and I think if Nigeria beat Iceland, then there's more of a chance. But, you know, despite it being unlikely, do you think they can still get through? Uh, they can still qualify uh, when we put money on it. I mean, first of all, they need Iceland to slip up against Nigeria, but for Nigeria not to win. Um, well, actually, maybe Nigeria win would be the best thing, because then it would mean that Croatia would still have a chance of not finishing top of the group. And Nigeria would be going for it against Argentina, maybe open up. But um, the problem is, I mean, the problem isn't even that it's out of their hands. That can you really see this? Argentina picking themselves up after a collapse like that? Can they pick themselves up to get the win they need? I think this will, given some of the issues in the camp already, and all the doubt and 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 indecision, and you know the talk of Messi retreating to his room by by himself after that missed penalty. It's hard to see where the spark's going to come from. In fact. You could almost predict more calamity. This is really going to take one of Messi's greatest act of genius. And I'm, I'm not sure the fire for this Argentina team is there. It feels like it's run its course. Well, if it's run its course, then, I mean, that's fair enough. But it's only, what, a year, less than that, maybe, since Sampaoli took over. And he took over in fairly controversial circumstances. Um, pretty tense the way it all ended with... Uh, Sevilla kind of forced his exit from there their entire season got torpedoed um, so I mean what's on the horizon for him a guy whose reputation back home now is going to be absolute dirt well Sampoli who came into this job with such a big reputation his reputation will be slightly tempered than what it was before he t- or in say mid-season with Sevilla no it's just it's almost in ruins now it wasn't just the team he put out but then the panic on his face on the bench uh, you, 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 you that, that, that's almost one of the abiding images of the night, along with kind of Messi's pain. Um, it's, what next from? It's hard to say maybe a job in China after this in Chinese Super League. Is there no greater ignominy in football than being linked to the Chinese Super League uh, as Miguel is just under Jorge Sampaoli? Uh, no, no. Sorry, I didn't think you <laughs> well, I mean, that. Well, an Argentine said to me earlier, you know, we've all known for ages that Mascherano is shot. He plays in the Chinese Super League. What league you play in does not define how good you are as a footballer. You know, I, I think Manuel Pellegrini just got a job in the Premier League at West Ham and he was previously ahead by China Fortune. You know, it, it's not necessarily the same thing. However, um, he might actually be completely spot on in his analysis of where San Paoli's next job is because it sure as hell is not going to be back home. No, what? Who do you think will be the next Argentina manager? Because haven't they basically gone through just about everybody who could possibly want or do the job? I wonder if they might go for um, either Guillermo Barrochelotto of uh, of Boca, maybe Marcelo Gallardo of River. Okay. Um, obviously, what they should do is go cap in hand back to one of the old guys that they've turfed out, Sabella or um, Tata Martino, who's at Atlanta United now. Um, problem is, you know, and, and I'll probably write this, this piece after they get eliminated, but the future for Argentinian football is bleak because of, of what everything that's happened behind the scenes, because of all the money that's gone missing and because the Argentine FA is run by... Uh, I mean, I don't know how to be polite to this guy. He's a former driver 
Um, he is disrespectfully referred <laughs> to. I mean, no, but I mean, like, he's a guy who's in nowhere. Like, think of the people that we have running uh, the FA. You know, they might be idiots, but like, they're like guys who are like the chief executive of, of big companies and stuff elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And then they go and move into the FA because presumably they like football and they get paid a load. Um, but Chiki Tapia is is nothing. I mean, and he's completely clueless and. You have to fear for the direction things are going to go, especially, of course, without Lionel Messi. Although, you know, it could be one of those things that the next World Cup, they just win it without him. Um, Dybala's World Cup, I'll call it. But uh, enough Argentina. I know everyone wants to talk about uh, Argentina, as you're on Brian Barwick's Wikipedia page. That is such because, a weird one. Because I was just trying to think who, which of our football administrators were a journalist beforehand, which is obviously a completely unqualified job in order to... secretly revealing his career ambitions on the podcast Um, let's talk France uh, who beat Peru today if I remember correctly yes they have France beat Peru 1-0 the only goal coming from Kylian Mbappe uh, they were in the end Peru everything we expected them to be they were adorable they were entertaining (laughs) they had loads of fans they were easy to root for but they also had nothing in front of goal. And we said, I said the other day, you know, Guerrero isn't a finisher. He never has been a finisher. Uh, they gave him the start today. And, and again, they, they were blunt in front of goal. And for all the, the good running of, of Cuevo, who I think people have liked, and Advin Kula, who um, is a handy player, uh, Peru just didn't have enough. And, and France have got quality throughout the team. They're yet to really impress, but they've come away with six points from their first two games. Yeah, um, on Peru, I think what you say is correct. The thing is, it wasn't even that they weren't finishing. It wasn't really that they were even really creating chances. And maybe that's hard today up against a France team that has N'Golo Kante, who I thought played played very well, uh, one of the few France players who did. Um, maybe that's hard against a France team like that, but we didn't see much of that against Denmark either. Like we said yesterday, I think previewing the game, just a lot of bad decisions um, and and that cost them in the end, despite all the energy, despite all the running that we saw, um, and and despite all the supporters that we saw in the streets in Moscow, even the past few days when they haven't been here, um, when Peru haven't been, obviously the, the fans were. So it, it's a shame, I suppose, to lose them. Um, it's the first South American team gone. I think I'm right in saying I know Brazil play tomorrow, so this will probably change, but. Uruguay the only South American team to have won a game so far mm-hmm. and Argentina on the brink as well so um, it's been quite a dominant uh, tournament for the European teams we've seen the African teams do poorly so far apart from Senegal so um, yeah and then on France well they're booked into the next round but like I said still flattering to deceive a bit still I keep saying this about a lot of teams but not quite the sum of the parts um, I think our reservations about Deschamps that we keep mentioning still there put Giroud up top today um, and it, it kind of worked it's kind of effective you can see how he kind of works as a battering ram I remember it reminded me when I used to play football we used to play football in our front yard right and um, there was <laughs> for years we were just playing football in the front yard and there was a lad who came along called Glenn right and then um, we had a, basically where the goal was there was a little wall against it and what Glenn always did was he'd kick the ball against the wall and then run round one of us and score and it was like Giroud was that wall today, you know. It was kind of like yeah. just something yeah, that yeah. it just bounce off, and suddenly it would make Griezmann and Mbappe and people look a lot better. And you know, I suppose I'm the Peruvian defence in this case, a bit like flummoxed by 
the existence <laughs> of this wall all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, so that, it, it kind of worked, but at the same time, it was just, it's still lacking fluency. And I think it was really telling on the goal where um, it actually starts with Peru trying to play the ball out the back. And the person who robs it off Guerrero actually is Paul Pogba. And for that, for that split second move where he uses his strength to take the ball, quick anticipation, you know, good vision, picks out Giroud, Giroud takes the shot and um, takes a deflection off a defender, goes over the keeper, Mbappe taps it in, you've all seen the goal by now. But it was that where it's like, wait a minute, if, if Deschamps can kind of get this France team and, and play to its strengths, then suddenly you've got quite a vibrant, you know, counter-pressing, if you like, team that could really go as far in the tournament as people have been saying. But, um, I mean, that was just one moment in a 90-minute match and the, the other 89 minutes were quite underwhelming. So, six points. I'm, I'm still looking at France and thinking, again... <laughs> If they come up against a team that's really informal, we we kind of yet to see one of those in this tournament yet. But they've got too many problems, and they'll be they'll be found out. I think uh, your first point about N'Golo Kante bailing out Deschamps is absolutely spot on. Yeah. Um, any team with N'Golo Kante though basically gets bailed out constantly by him. That is his, that's his game, mm. um, and he's incredible at doing it. Uh, I saw someone. Uh, referring to him as the double pivot midfield earlier, as in like he is just he's just two guys on his own in midfield, and that's what you need um, when you've got attacking players. I think the, the point about the front three, Deschamps looked to to want to play a front three of Griezmann, Mbappe, and Dembele, which would also like obviously be like pretty fearsome in terms of it's a speedy dribbling counter attacking unit, but it didn't quite work against Australia didn't mesh that well he's gone with Giroud today who's really good when players run beyond him and as long as you've got guys who are willing to do it and I mean in Matuidi Pogba uh, Grisou and uh, Mbappe he's got four really good players who are willing to run beyond him and and I just think it, it just works better and sometimes in international football you know this is kind of what I was saying about San Paolo earlier not to go back to Argentina but you either find the system that works really well and you put the players in it that best fit it or you look at all your best players and you work out a system that makes them tick but you don't get caught in the middle and just put out like some completely made up Play-Doh creation that doesn't function and makes all your players worse than they actually are um, Deschamps like seemingly one level of intelligence above San Paoli at the moment which is you know not the biggest of compliments but I thought uh, Giroud did look better in, in that role and um, his link-up play is smart. Pogba, Pogba was good. Um, you know, Griezmann and Mbappe have a constant danger. So France are through and, and they're going to be one of those teams that, that go deep into this competition. It's whether they can pick up some momentum and, and Deschamps keeps things going. Um, the other teams go through from this group is likely to be Denmark now after they beat Australia. Um, almost certain to be them. No, I guess. they didn't beat Australia. Who did they beat today? No, they played Australia, but they drew with them one-one. So. Oh God, they did. Yeah, yeah. no, I forgot about that. Uh, but all uh, right, it felt like a whims. Australia had to win today, really. You need like it was a bit like the um, well, Argentina, Argentina kind of thing. They needed. Well, to be honest, no, I think um, so. Australia will go through if they beat Peru, and Denmark lose to France. 
I think that's correct. Because they've got one point, Peru have zero, Denmark have four. So if they win, Denmark lose, they'll both have four. And then because the head-to-head -head today was 1-1, one -one, it then go on goal difference. So they they need to beat Peru kind of handsomely. But, you know, they're still an outside chance. You're still thinking Denmark are going to be going to progress. Um, but the thing is, like, France don't need to rest players because they need to win the group. So, I, I, yeah, I, I, I still fancy Denmark to go through on that one. I mean, Christian Eriksen's goal in the fifth minute, I think it was, was absolutely brilliant. Um, he latched on, arrived late to a, a ball, latched onto him and spanked it home. Really, one of those difficult ones where he contorts his body and um, you just need really good technique to do what he did. And fortunately, Christian Eriksen is not short in that department. Uh, then you had the VAR penalty. The VAR penalty. So, an absolute joke of a decision, uh, to be honest. This is where it gets complicated because we're going to get more penalties with with VAR. I think everyone's realised that now. Like, there's been a lot of penalties in this, and it's not a bad thing. You know, if, if it stops defenders doing stupid things in the box and we get more good goals because of it, I'm actually very pro uh, that being a thing in football. What I don't really want it to do is things like this, where a ball is headed at you know full speed, not it's not going in or anything, and it it hits a defender on the hand, a defender who's jumping to like that header now when you jump like your arms can't stand by your sides it's impossible you can't do it you need it to do to get leverage and it hits the guy's hand and, and, and deflects yes in the box yes but it's not you know it's not going in it's not I just don't there's no intent there's uh, nothing you can do about it it's not like he's gone in front of the ball and he's doing a star jump and it's hit his arm it's not an unnatural position for the arm to be in I just don't... I don't like this being called back and given as a penalty 30 seconds later, to be honest. No, I mean, I, I agree. Um, for me, it's not a deliberate action, so therefore it's not handball. That's the rule. thing is, I mean, that is just, I find, the most subjective uh, rule in the, in the rule book, basically, isn't it? Because like, we can never really ascertain whether a player is meant to do something or not. I think... In this case, you'd say more likely than not. There's no way you mean to do that. No, no, I agree. I agree. I'm just saying that, like, and I don't know what VAR really helps with in that sense because I saw an interesting point. I think it was um, Daniel Story, the Football 365 guy on Twitter, who said that maybe in this situation, if a referee's looking at this incident and he's seeing it in slow motion on the side, um, which I believe he is, then perhaps that kind of accentuates any kind of intent that he's uh, you know he's taken from that maybe it looks like it's a little more intentional it would be at full speed I mean I don't I don't know about that but like like you say I just think yeah I, it wasn't a penalty for me soft one um, but Australia lived to fight another day really and, and I think uh, the last three goals in the World Cup have all been melee-gendered like penalties and an interesting thing I, I mentioned to you as well didn't I? I wonder whether um, whether this supposed rise in penalties that we're going to see is going to see players like Milay Jelinek or your other man at Palace now what's his name Luka Milivojevic Luka Milivojevic maybe their price tags will go up a little bit I mean that's I've, I've read a few reports and they've, they've obviously tried VAR in Serie A this season and I think they found that over the course of the year, they had only nine more penalties than they did without VAR. So the suggestion is that 
maybe what we're seeing now is something that's just a, a small sample size. Maybe it's um, maybe it's something to do with referees who haven't used the system, who aren't too familiar with the system before using it again now. Don't know. The, I, the, the suggestion is that things will even out and we won't be seeing so many penalty calls given. But at the moment, um, yeah, it is, it is quite surprising and quite extraordinary that we are getting so many spot kicks. And Australia, um, having failed to actually kind of provide much attacking threat in that first game, and then for the first half of this game, towards the end could have won it. Um, Artsani and Leckie were getting some joy down the flanks. Cruz is kind of a, an interesting player. And they swung loads of crosses in that came to nothing. And for some reason, they didn't call upon Tim Cahill, which was utterly baffling um, and, and provoked some real rage from uh, an Australian, I know. I think, uh, you know, obviously, Bert van Marwijk is trying to do things his own way. And they're talking about legacy and, and bringing it on. But this is Tim Cahill's last World Cup. And he's a guy who can obviously genuinely help you in those scenarios um, and seem like an obvious guy to bring on. Um, yeah, how old is he now? He's, I mean, uh, five hundred years old. If we're really at the point where we still need Tim Cahill to come on to get through a World Cup game, then uh, maybe it's not all great for the Caltech Socceroos or whatever they're called. <laughs> um, but right, but the, you know, it's yeah, he's old. But you know, one of the, the things he's always been good at, you know, he might not be, you might not be able to play him in central midfield anymore because he can't. Get up and down like he used to, but one thing he has always been able to do is the timing of his runs and those leaps to get up and head the ball home. And I don't think he's going to have lost that. No, maybe not. But I don't know if it would have changed the game in the last five minutes. Um, what Australia, a goal! No, you no. You don't think a goal bringing, would change no, the game no, in the last no. five minutes? No, because we're not saying Australia should score a goal. Everybody yeah, knows that. Yeah, You're yeah. saying they should bring on Tim Cahill. Yeah, which, but he's which going to score a goal, goal. Obviously, he's obviously going to score. Like you bring Tim Cahill on, he rises up and like powers ahead of home. Uh, maybe that's your opinion. I'd have to disagree. I think like Australia, still to me, even after that, even after they picked up a little bit in the second half, still looked like the weakest team in the group. And really, it's a matter of whether Peru have their shooting boots on on next week when they meet in Sochi. That's that's a big question. Uh, and if, if if Peru do, then I think the the volume of, like I said, they don't create a lot of chances. But if they can just get a few decent ones, they definitely get a lot of shots off the volume. I think that was that would see Australia beaten and put an end to their hopes of somehow scraping into the last sixteen. Because from what I've seen over the hundred and eighty minutes of them so far, they they don't deserve to be there. Speaking of Sochi, you are off to Sochi tomorrow. Um leaving me on my own heartlessly um, Miguel's back Miguel's not back yet is he oh, on so, Friday tomorrow yeah, he's, he's back tomorrow night and you go tomorrow morning so I've got all day on my own um, do you feel bad about that no okay well you feel bad about that that's fine um, tomorrow's games the lunchtime kickoff Brazil Costa Rica in St Petersburg a spicy encounter at which we'll have Johnny Lou and Jack Pitbrook so we'll get them oh. to check in uh, for the podcast tomorrow and it should be pretty good. Nigeria, Iceland, uh, now a massive game. Uh, the whole of Argentina will be watching, um, hoping that something can happen that's going to help them. And the final game, Serbia, Switzerland, two countries that I would expel from the tournament immediately for being boring in their first games. But I'm willing to give them a second chance. Um, I am willing to give them a second chance, and that's in Kaliningrad. Um, that's, the, that's the late game, really? The late game tends to be the good one, isn't it, most days? I think it's just coincidence. 
Yeah, South it is just coincidence because on Saturday it's South Korea versus Mexico. Right. Um, Mexico good. Yeah, Mexico are good, but I think they might come undone once again. So we'll check in with you on Saturday, I guess. You're going to be at Germany, Sweden. Germany, Sweden in Sochi. Um, what particularly looking forward to uh, on your trip? Um, from the match? Yeah, from the match because I haven't really. There's a beach as well. There's a beach. I hear it's like the Blackpool of. Of um, the where, where, what region of Russia is it? I should know the, this again. The Caucasus. Yeah, maybe Krasnodar. Is it? Not sure. Anyway, um, I hear it's Russia's Blackpool basically, and I've always been a big fan of Blackpool ever since my parents taken me on Halloween to avoid trick or treaters to see the illuminations. So, yep, that um, <laughs> the game itself. Um, I think we're all interested to see what Yogi Lowe does with Germany and particularly the midfield. Um, you might have seen that story today Sammy Kadira got given a uh, boarding pass flight home for uh, the Who by? from a Swedish journalist a oh trainer. really yeah which is a bit cruel spicy in my opinion um, he took it well he said I won't need that until the 16th of July which is of course the day of the final classic so um, but quite seriously as well um, it's expected that he's going to drop out because he was really poor and and this is the thing with Germany. I think, um, you know, there's that band of players that came in around 2010 uh, who now may be approaching their peak age and we're just wondering whether they're on the downward slide of that peak, you know? You know, they've maybe just crossed that peak and now coming down. They've uh, got a lot of good young players, though. They have, but I think it's, it's the core, isn't it? Like, you go through that back. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's Neuer, who's 32. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I mean, for a goalkeeper, it's nothing, you know, it's okay, but then Boateng is 29, I think. Hummel's 28, 29. Um, and talking about the mid- Cruz, Kadira, late 20s. Kadira's um, like 31, actually, I think. So, and, and, and that, was the, that was the part against Mexico. That was the part of the team that was really exposed. So, seeing how that copes will be interesting. At the same time, I don't have a lot of faith in this Sweden team. I know I did, I've kind of talked up a little bit before in previous podcasts but they're not exactly a team that has a lot of pace and not the kind of team that breaks in behind and if Germany stick with plan A that we saw the other day they might get a little bit more joy um, Did you know that the room went absolutely silent when they gave Sammy that boarding pass the Swedish journalist I didn't know that no, apparently, Did you know that? Cause... Apparently you could hear a pin drop oh. <laughs> Thank you very much um, and that'll do I think for the podcast you might as well end on the absolute high because I don't think we can get any better than that. Um, and for that reason, um, I urge you, no, I implore you, to please check out the website um, where by the time you listen to this, we'll have Michael Cox's tactical analysis of uh, one of the most surprising results of the tournament so far, Croatia 3, Argentina 0. Uh, we've got my piece on uh, the absolute meltdown and the images that might be burnt into Argentine football infamy. Uh, we've got Miguel's report from Nizhny Novgorod where he basically spends a thousand words laying into Jorge Sampaoli and burying him as we later find out into the Chinese Super League um, and there's loads more as I've said can Croatia become contenders that's Luke Brown uh, deciding that and then tomorrow afternoon Brazil versus Costa Rica we've got uh, the fine Johnny Lou and uh, the excellent Jack Pitt Brook there so you're going to have great content coming out your ears um, and you've got this podcast of course coming in your ears so uh, not like that make sure you uh, keep downloading keep subscribing and review the podcast and uh, we will see you tomorrow tomorrow